Greetings and welcome to CritCast episode 27, where we're doing another guide, this time on how to play Chaos Cults. But once again, I'm joined by Scrivo. So Scrivo, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad at all. It's been a while. I think, actually, I think it's been like three weeks since we recorded, but only two weeks since we published an episode. But by the time this goes up, it'll be three weeks because it'll be next week. So oh, the future. The future, yeah. So, because a lot, a lot has actually happened. Uh, we had, um, what do you call it, a Gallo Gone released. It was gone really quickly, and now we've just had Ashes, Ashes of Faith released. Uh, but oh, pre- you- pre-ordered, so pre-ordered. You could, yeah. you could kind of hopefully ask for a copy if you're a good boy at Christmas. But yeah. I mean, I no. was actually shocked by the Ashes of Faith price. I was expecting it to be 125 pounds, maybe 150, and then GW like, no, it's 95 pounds. But then it was like the monkey's paw of it's ninety five pounds, but no, no one's going to be able to buy it. It it could be three hundred pounds, John, and you're still not getting a copy. <laughs> oh God! I looked on eBay um, when I when I've posted my reviews. It already gone up to three hundred pounds. Yep. And people are bidding for it. <laughs> that was the worst thing. It's just it's frustrating. And as someone that actually runs a toy shop, it's incredibly exhausting that people come and ask desperately, and you're like, no. You've, you've never contacted me before and you're that desperate that you're just asking everywhere yeah. if you if you were loyal to a shop they might have been able to sort you out but not anymore yeah. no no i've got friends who are like well i'm just gonna chance it on release day now at my local gw and i was like I, I hope you you get a coffee but it's, it's like really you're gambling basically because yeah. yeah, uh, i think not- this box was actually from what i found there were more people upset that this box had sold out than um, Gallowfall because it was the first narrative release and people really wanted a narrative campaign. Yeah, just to play that campaign. That just sounds fun. And then also there's – it's like the Kassikans where it's something that people that just like painting would yeah. like to own. Like the like well, Inquisition it, is that kind of fodder, right? Yeah, it's like a painter's team. It's still good, but it's like mainly painting. But also, like, the narrative content they actually put in is really good. Like, I only found out after I posted the review, but even though it's designed for Chaos versus Inquisition, they say at the start, you just decide who's the Chaos player and who's the Inquisition, then you can yeah, just, like, perfect. hand wave it. Yeah. So you can go, like, oh, it's Imperium versus Venus, like, Vetguard versus uh, Eldar or Tyranid, something like that. So you can... It's really, actually, really well done. So just, you can replay it a lot, then. Yeah. So it's, it's actually really... I call it the Mario Party effect. So you can still win even if you lose all six qualifying games. You know, like you're playing Mario Party and it's like, you've got the friend who's like, I've won every minigame. Nothing can go wrong. I've got seven stars. The closest person has four. And then Nintendo's like, oh, here's the Goomba guy with one star. Look, you, you get a random roll. Oh, you've rolled four. Ah, oh, seven stars. You are now the winner. It's not that <laughs> kind of stuff, but it's close. It's just like, yeah. Oh, if, if you fucking fluke it, you, you win. Um, but what have you been up to since we last recorded? Um, So since we last recorded, went to Warhammer Fest. Oh yeah, we both went to Warhammer Fest. Yeah, oh. I saw you there briefly. Um, yeah. I played Age of Sigmar on the Sunday, which was fun. A thousand point Age of Sigmar in the casuals tournament. And on points, I was seventh, which was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah oh, that nice. was really fun. good. Oh, nice. Yeah, so... But it's obviously Games Workshop's um, scoring for actual places is quite different because there's um, hobby score and then yes. they do like a 
a best sports thing that's not always rigidly done and it's very much kind of organically done through hearing stuff whilst the the tos are moving around the, the hall which is quite cool but it does mean that you're just like it wasn't very clear in the pack so i was just like cool so uh it doesn't matter what place i got because none of this really matters <laughs> yeah warhammer fest was a mess like i managed to place fourth out of 116 with my hand of the archon but the event like because one thing i wanted to make clear because everyone assumed it was just like it wasn't the warhammer world staff running it, it was the global no. events team yeah so it was a very like i'll explain it in my when i do my um warhammer this video yeah but to to cut it short my tournament changed about six times over the course of my tournament so very fun it's very fun when the rules change mid game it's re- i really love that <laughs> it makes it really enjoyable to play that i love i love when tournaments change their rules as the day goes on it, so what I you're saying it. is as another door opens another one closes exactly <laughs> I, uh, it's I'm, I'm so, so good i'm so good at this <laughs> so annoying like basically oh, we found out going. how's it going how's it going you like uh, well this has happened i'm like oh god it's like yeah. gossip was too real. Was well, because basically what happened, <laughs> one of the examples, so we assumed doors were on because that's what one of the GW staff told us on a large Discord um, that rules and hatch, like doors and hatches were on. And then mid-turning point, mid-game two, we found out that was actually off. But the issue is me and my opponent were about to start turning point one. So I was like, well, crap. I, we, we can't just... Um, Turned up, we can close them, but we've already picked tag ops and stuff, and it's kind of messed up what we wanted to do. And it kind of turned my game from a one point loss, from a draw to a one point loss. Because if I knew it wasn't doors, I would have made it a draw. And it's just like, it's really frustrating. Um, mm. But it was Warhammer Fest. Um, God, oh, it's such a mess of an event. But um, I also won at Warhammer World because I played at Warhammer World. Literally five days ago with Felgor's <laughs> Ravages. <laughs> Made so many people angry. Uh like um I won't keep it this bit too long, but like uh one favorite thing was like people said like oh, it made you depressed. You said like this kill team's really bad, yet you played it. And I was like, Well, just because I played a kill team doesn't mean I actually liked it. There's yeah, uh, there's actually a lot of kill teams I've played success successfully and like religiously that I don't like. Uh, like my the one I like to point out a lot are um, Pathfinders. Didn't enjoy Pathfinders, but I was oh, just like they're awful. <laughs> well, they're like just just the most efficient kill team to play. And so what you're telling it, me, John, is you really just like to win. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like the funny thing. Oh, you went back on your word, and I was like, actually, I wanted because there's a lot of people who say stats don't matter, but we're then saying ah, to see if beastmen are a problem, we actually need to see data to see them win events. So I was like, fine, you think I'm wrong, I'll just prove it. So I went in with basically no practice and maxed every game. Um, and they were like, okay. To be fair, those people were like, you got us there, John. And then a lot of, a lot of other people were like, you're just, you're just horrible. But um, as I said, I did it with Pathfinders. I said Pathfinders were broken. People said no. So I played Pathfinders. I said Harlequins were broken. People said no. So I, I started winning everything with Harlequins. Uh, people, I said Hunter Clade were busted. People said no. So I won the London tournament with Harlequins. Uh, and, oh, um, Hunter Clade, blah, blah, blah. Then mm. uh, I said Breaches were dumb. 
And so then I won like Savage Hammer and then I came fifth and the highest Breacher player in LVO. And now they've been toned down. So it's like, to be fair, I, like the only kill teams I've actually really super enjoyed playing are Hand of the Archon and Tyranids. And Commandos. Commandos are fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I said Commandos are a bit dumb and I got them nerfed. But outside Thanks. of that... Thanks for that, Tom. No, John. No worries. No worries, Grover, anytime. Um... But yeah, that's that's pretty much up for our recap. I think what you've got Savage Hammer this weekend. Uh, yes, on Saturday. So I've got to take some terrain. Um, I've still got three models to paint. Not bad. But they are literally painted with dirty damn rust and then pink. So it's not fine. not a travel. I should be all right. Should be fine. And then I got to actually play the, the kill team. <laughs> that's fine. I mean, Savage so, Hammer. I haven't played them yet. Savage Hammer are really cool. Well, thankfully, we did a guide on them, so you can just know, rewatch. I've, them. I've got to rewatch it because I've forgotten it all. It's That's awful. good. That's fine. <laughs> I've slept um, since then. Idiots. But um, <laughs> Savage Hammer are really good. Like, um, as I said, you have to bring your own terrain. But I've played at yep. their event once. Uh, you're going to play at there. Like, they're really good. They're really cool guys. Like, you should check them out if you're ever in the air. They're, they're at a school again, right? I believe so. It's the same venue as previously, I think. Yeah. And I can happily say now I won't be at UK Games Expo for Kill Team, sadly, because um, I think GW didn't like that. They're only two people who bought tickets, so um, they pulled the event. So that's it for upcoming events. So let's get on with the Kill Team guide. So we'll be talking about how to play Chaos Coats. So Chaos Coats are the new Kill Team from Ashes of Faith. By the time this video has gone up, you would have seen my reviews. I mean, we're recording this after my reviews have gone up, but um, my uh, what do you call it? Battle report. There we go. That's going up Tuesday, and we're recording this Monday. So they're the new about the Chaos Cult. They're basically just the Chaos Cult. You know, like you were around when Blooded were released, right? Yeah, yeah. And you were like, "Wow, they're not blood packed, but they're not Chaos Cults. They're just their own thing." Chaos Cults are the team everyone's been waiting for. If you're a, like an Insidious Chaos fan, yeah. Like, Blooded are still good, but it's weird. Blood is, Blooded are actually more like, they're not as organized as Blood Pact, but they're not as insidious as Chaos Cults. They're just literally guardsmen who have turned to Chaos. Yes. It's really weird. And they're not even full, fully chaotic. They just, they're like more of the general violence aspect of Chaos. They don't work as a team. Everyone's out fine for themselves, but it's not like, oh, they're all praising to Chaos. They're literally just violent. It's weird because blood packs are basically like really efficient, organized guardsmen that are just pledged to chaos, right? Yeah. yeah. So mm. that, that's the thing for chaos cults. They, they're not like blood pack. They're literally just chaos cults. So if you've got this kill team, because if you're lucky enough to get ashes of faith, um, <laughs> you um, it's a chaos cult. So it's actually made from the dark commune. So you get five dark commune, uh, 10 Chaos Cultists, and then you've got eight of the Accursed Mutant Cultists. Yeah. So it's basically all the new Chaos stuff. Because funny, like I was discussing this in my Discord, I was expecting this team to be released in the next annual. So I'm like, oh wow, they just did it anyway. So clearly I'm psychic and not a playtester. Like seriously, I'm not a playtester, I'm just psychic. Sure, um, sure, sure, I believe you too. Uh, <laughs> but this kill team is made up of the Cult Demagogue. So she it's the leader, she's the one with the the weird helmeted face. Like they've all yeah. got this weird helmeted She's face. She's like a cheese grater f- mask over her yeah, eyes. Yeah, it's a cheese grater. They've got cheese grater faces. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Don't um, worry, that's then, what I'm here for. 
Yeah, thank you. You're, I wouldn't be able she, to do this without you. And her um, her staff has got a Dalek in it. Has it? Let me. Yeah, hold if on. you look at it, it's like a gribbly monster in the staff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it looks Zinchian, but yeah. It's, it's in, and now I can't honestly see it's a Dalek. She's also got a tentacle arm holding a stick. Yeah, a it's a pimp cane with a skull for the uh, the thing that you hold. So it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but. You've got her. Then you've got your Iron Arch, who is your basically banner bearer. And then you've got your Mind Witch, who is just a cultist holding the head of a uh, mutant psyker, which is pretty cool. Then you get 10 Chaos Devotees, who are just your devotees. And your archetype is Infiltration and Seek and Destroy. So you've got 15 operatives, which is actually the largest kill team in the game, I think, just beating Galapox by one. And you've got Infiltration and Seek. So Seek and Destroy is really good. But I really like Infiltration, and Horde teams actually do Infiltration really really well. So they've actually got a good selection. But that's all you get from and you may get going like, John, I've got all these operatives. And it's like, yeah, but you, you'll find out later. So now we'll go on to Tac Ops. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they've got free Tac Ops. So you've got Tear Through, where... It's a good tack op, but it's more a gambly end game tack op. So you reveal it at the end of the battle. If you have a friendly torment within white of your opponent's drop zone, you score a VP. And if you have another one, you score another VP. So at the end of the game, you can have a maximum of three torments. So if you have another torment, it's not bad, right? But it's gambling. So I want to, if you, this will be like the last tack op you would reveal. So if your opponent figures out that you've just got tear through they will just kill your torment it's good on into the dark but because yeah. into the dark is just dumb but this this team is crazy on into the dark but maybe i'll take all the time on into the dark but it's it's like a win more so you kind of have to be careful then you've got profane defilement so i think this is one of the best tack ops in the game you reveal it in any target reveal step after the first so if a friendly cult demagogue, Iron Arch, or Mind Witch, so basically your three named operatives, start and end the turning point within blue of the center of the kill zone, you score one VP. If you do it again, you get another. So effectively, you have to start the turning point within blue, but what you do is turning point one, you end like two of your guys within blue of the center, and you're effectively guaranteed. Because mm. people may go like, oh, you know, you just swarm the mid. It's like, you don't want to get close to the um, the banner or the psycho, or the leader, because you can just cushion it out. And even on Into the Dark, this is really, really good, because you can score it without interacting. It's just so free. And the fact you have to stop three different operatives to get this to turn off, it's just too much of an investment. It's just a tack up I would look at and go, like, there's tack ops I categorize as, like, you just can't stop. And actually trying to stop them is going to put you into a bad position, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, like, this is just, for me, an auto-score. Because if I was the opponent trying to sc- stop you scoring Profane Defilement, I have to throw away so many guys. And if there's an, um, if there's enough terrain on the board, like, it's just free. Then you've got Blood Offering, which I think is the worst. It's not horrible, but it's not efficient. So you can reveal it in any target turning point. For each objective marker, the first time someone is an enemy operative is incapacitated within white of it, so on the marker, you place a blood offering token. And then the first time you do the blood prayer, you get a victory point. The second time, second. So on an objective you control, you can do the blood prayer action. If it's got the cult demagogue 
keyword, they can do it within red instead, and they basically spend an action point. So the only issue was this, you have to kill someone on a ter- on an objective and it has to be on a different objective to max. And because you generally still have to get quite close, you actually don't have the spare action points to do it. So while it seems good on paper, it's just not as good as your other attack ops. Um, and then if you're going seek and destroy, I think you just take eliminate guard slash route and um, Robin Ransack. But if you could take an infiltration, I like seize defenses and implant. You're going to be doing a lot of attacks, so implant is just a free score. And then yeah. seize defenses or like infiltrate their um, board is really easy because you have 15 operatives. So uh, it, this is a kill team that basically maxes tack ops every game. It's really hard to stop them. That seems like quite a trend in recent kill teams that they the, the cards seem easier in the current crit ops and the teams are scoring them easier as well. Yes. So I like basically crit ops was designed after all these kill teams right so yeah. uh even ashes of faith would have been designed with the old tac ops so old infiltration and seek and destroy actually is not too bad when you encounter these faction tac ops because you need really good faction tac ops to counteract those archetypes mm. but now we've got crit ops it's just kind of made everything a mess so everyone like as you said basically if you look at new teams they're effectively maxing tac ops every game well, the out of the pair, at least yes. one of those new kill teams maxes can easily max. Like yeah, it, it seems it seems more consistently that way as the the boxes have dropped at least since compared to season one at least. Yeah, because when you looked at season one, it would it would actually be rare for a kill team to have really good faction tack ops. So it feels like it's a departure from season two from season one. Yeah, but then it with the crit ops has made tack ops a bit of a joke. In terms of, oh, I might max to, oh, wow, I didn't max? You know, it's like... Um, but overall, it's like this team is effectively auto-scoring tack-ups. Like, the only way you don't yeah. auto-score is if you p- misplay horrifically. So, not to knock people who don't max tack-ups, it's just this kill team kind of does it. Like, if it was a difficult array, this would be like three to two out of five to max, where some teams it's like four, like really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but now we'll go into abilities. So for faction abilities, the main one is just mutation. So these guys are imbued with the power of chaos, so they can like mutate. So the main thing here, once again, like if you want a full summary, just watch the review video. It's on YouTube. It's the most viewed. <clears throat> anyway, so basically, <laughs> once uh, once per turning point. It doesn't say once per turning point. Look, I know there's a lot of you people out there who are very like, oh well, people are going as rules as written. I'll go the rules as written way. Anyway, it doesn't say once per turning point, but it's supposed to say once per turning point. So once per turning point, instead of playing a ploy, you can mutate someone. So if it's a devotee, your normal guy, you can turn it into a mutant. If it's a mm-hmm. mutant, you can turn it into a torment. You can't mutate someone more than once in a turning point. So let's say it was turning point three, where you can mutate three guys. You can't go, I'm going to mutate my devotee into a mutant and then mute it into a torment and a devotee into a mutant. You can't do that. Then you can also choose anyone to heal d3 plus one wounds so any of your operatives so this is often overlooked generally they have seven to eight wounds so if they're wounded they're usually dead but you can heal them but you can also heal your demons so if you've already got demons out it's actually some nice healing then you can also mutate mutate someone with your leader which i'll get to later but you can also mutate if at the end of combat your devotees 
did damage and then survive that combat, they will instantly change into a mutant. And every time someone mutates, they heal all their wounds. So if they're on one wound, they will jump to four wounds, which is pretty crazy when we get to the other mutants. And also, when you mutate, you replace the model exactly where it was. If you go into a larger base and it pushes you into engagement range, you get into engagement range. But you also oh, get gosh. gifts. Yeah, yeah. So you can teleport. You can basically like like teleport into combat. Nudging. Yep, it's it's dumb, really dumb. Um, then you've got a cursed gift. So the first time you mutate someone, you've got six gifts, and you pick one, and then all of your mutants get that. And then when you mute into a torment, you get a second gift that stacks only for torment. So basically, mutants will always have one gift, and then devotees will always have two. So you've got winged fleet, continuous horns, sinews, and barbed. But basically, you're going to give everyone winged if it's on open, because winged is you ignore all modifiers to your movement, and the first time you traverse or climb or drop, you ignore white. So you effectively like phase through barricades, which is really strong. And ignore the nano mine. No, you don't. Nano mine's not a modifier, no? sadly. Yeah, oh, that, that's what you should like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They can't ignore the nano mine. See, I'm already. I'm kind of looking for things that could be a problem for me. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, so like if you're an into the dark, you pick fleet because it gives plus black move. But if you're an open, you go winged. And then when you mutate again, generally you pick fleet to get the extra movement. But I like picking Shatinuous. No, not Shatinuous, sorry, Horned. So against elites, when you charge with a torment, you're doing D3 mortal wounds. So it really oh, helps chip damage, away. Nice. Yeah, yeah, impact damage, yeah. So you, uh, you're generally going winged on open to fleet. Against elite, and then if it's on into the dark, you'll usually go in fleet and then probably Horned just because on Into the Dark, there's not much to reverse for you. If your opponent, like the greatest thing is because you do it after the boards are set up, you can see where your opponents place barricades. So if your opponent is blocking off board, like board space on Into the Dark with barricades, you just go, okay, I pick winged effectively. Um, but th those are what you do. You've got the other ones, but you, you just don't take them. So that's pretty much it for abilities. Going on to ploys. So the main things, they're actually quite CP intensive because... This kill team gets no, uh, what do you call it, ways to get command points. They just they just get ploys. So no regeneration at all? No. So they were like restrained, right? They were like, normally GGOB's like, ah, you know what? You can have plus one CP per turning point or per game or free CP. Yeah, you've earned it. Not this team. And <laughs> yeah. It's glad. It's glad. So you've got Exhalation and Pain. Um, so for, basically friendly operatives aren't injured. And if they've taken damage, you can reroll one of your defense dice. But once again, doesn't really matter. You you actually like the not injured part, especially when you've got like um, torments you're going to send in. Fervent onslaught is really good. So before you fight, you can retain one of your dice before rolling, which is really good when you're trying to do stuff like parry out marines with your normal guys. So fervent on onslaught is great. Then you've got creatures of nightmare, which is really good. If you have a mutant or torment on an objective, um, your opponent's count has been one APL less. So this team has no way to modify APL to buff themselves, but you can do it to debuff opponents. And that's really useful because you can only have a maximum of five uh, mutants and three torments, but you can easily have them covering every point. So all of a sudden, your opponent just goes, wow, I need like four guys to, three guys to secure a point and two guys to contest. So that's pretty good. And then you've got Sickening Aura. So anyone within white of friendly mutants or dark communes or torments are minus one to hit for their weapon skill and ballistic skill. It, it, it bypasses injury. It doesn't stack with injury. So basically they just go, there's minus one to hit because we look, we'd look nasty. And you go, oh. 
So you can already tell they were having a problem with too many teams immune to being injured. So they were just like, fine, fine. Uh, and then you've got tactical ploys. So you've got, I, I call it the Gene Stiller coat. You can't target my leader. So for a command point, instead of someone targeting your coat, demagogue, iron or mind witch, if there's a friendly chaos cult within white, you just direct the attack onto them. So if someone has, somehow snipes your leader for a CP, you just dunk it onto a normal guy. So some yeah, really good protection that's, there. That's helpful. Yes. So the important thing is only against a shooting attack. So you can still charge them, but trying to shoot them unless it's a blast. Well, currently it's got a weird wording. So if you got hit by a blast, you could spend a CP to dunk the blast attack onto the same guy twice. But basically you have to get close. Then you've got Abhorrent Mutation, so you can spend a CP to give one Torment an additional um, gift, which I don't think is worth it. It's At that point, you're just kind of styling on someone where you really like one of your Torments. Then you've got a Frenzy Demise. Uh, when one of your mutants die, you spend a CP. The, someone within white and visible, so it doesn't have to be the guy who killed them, takes D3 Mortal Wounds. If it's a Torment, you do D6. So Torment D6 is basically what you do this on, especially if someone's throwing in guys. And then you've got Unleash the Demon. A Mutant and Torment can do a free fight action and they can do two fight actions. So it's Unleash the Demon is something you're going to be doing every turn after yeah. first. So you've got a powerful selection of ploys, but I like there's no regeneration. So it kind of offsets it. Because I like I think in like effectively every team we've had at the start of season two, out of the two teams, one of them has had a way to get command points, isn't it? It's felt like it. Because uh, you had breaches had a free strat they could do. Um, uh, no, the only ones who didn't was uh, Soul Shackle. Um, no, Shadow Volts, because Hyrotech and Kazakin didn't have any free strats, but they did make your Necron reanimation strat for free because your kill team was horrible. Yep. Because yep. if you look at um, Shadow uh, Soul Shackle. Hand of the Archon gets ways to refund CP. And then if we look at the last kill team, oh, they don't get, yeah, they don't get ways to get free CP. Okay, so they I take that back. They've actually been quite restrained. It just feels like one of those new, new abilities. Like, you know, um, when Age <laughs> yeah. of Sigma was like, everyone fights first. This is a great rule. No one's no one's going to hate this. So, sorry, GW. But now we're going <laughs> to operatives. So the, the, the key thing about this kill team is they have... Um, they don't have much. The, the thing you have to balance out the most is the abilities, so mutating, and then your ploys. Because now I'm going to go over the operatives, and there's only seven data sheets, so this this is great. So you got your leader. She She's your cult demagogue, eight wounds and a five-up save. She has a melee and a range profiles you're never going to use. These are more like, oh, I've been charged, instead of, oh, I'm going to charge. Like, uh, if your leader is in combat, something's gone wrong. Yeah. But she, she's got a Cursed Benediction. So for one action point, you select a friendly operative within red and visible, and you can mutate them. So what I like to do, turning point one, you turn a normal guy into a mutant. Then you turn another guy into a mutant with your leader. You can also, as the game goes on, heal someone instead, but generally you're mutating. And remember, you can't mutate someone into uh, again. So if they've already mutated from a devotee into a mutant, you can't change them into a torment. But <clears throat> she also has two really good abilities. So she's only two APL, but one of her actions is induced slaughter. So she picks another operative visible and within red. They can do a free fight action. Or their insight urgency, 
So this is another action. They can either do a free dash or a charge action that lets them move blue instead of red. Uh, well, their normal range of charging. So what you can do with her, because effectively what she does, she moves up to the middle of the board and just buffs the team. So turning point one, she moves up, mutates someone. Turning point two, she should be in the middle or she moves into the middle, yeah. mutates someone. And then turning point three and four, she's just like, oh, mutate, you get to do an extra attack. Mutate, you get to do an extra charge, something like that. So she's really good as a force multiplier. And actually, towards the game end, like turning point three and four, you're probably just moving up or using her to make someone fight again or make someone charge blue and then fight. So especially if you use this on a Torment who's fought twice already, you can have it fight a third time. So she is really good. Really, really important to keep alive. Then you got your Blessed Blades. These are your two like Chaos guys. They have power weapons. They have eight wounds. They hit on fours. So you only want to charge them into supported combats. So combats where they get plus one to hit. Um, if someone falls back from you, they take D3 plus one mortal wounds. I, they keep adding this. It's like one trend I've noticed. Like, ah, people fall back all the time. Now, if they do it, they will take damage. And I'm like, I, if I'm falling back, I would just fall back. Like, there is... I, I get what they're trying to do, like to disincentivize people falling back. But in situations where I'm falling back, I'm either got enough wounds to fall back anyway, or if I'm going to die, I'll just pass. You know, so it's just an interesting trend. But the the cool thing about the blessed blades, you get two of them, and they have a tuned in purpose. So each time they're activated, you can activate another one within red. So you can to cut down your activations, you can group activate these, and they have a w wider range. So you can spread them out a bit, and then when you want to group activate, they can just bounce away. So, but I, re I actually use the blessed blades to score objectives and do mission actions because, oddly, that's what you need them to do. It, it, they're like they're supposed to be bodyguards, but they literally just do around like start carrying the team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then you've got your Iron Arch, who is your banner. So the most important thing about your banner, um, it has a flamer. So six attacks, hitting on twos, two, three, range red, torrent blue. It's actually really good flamer. Mm. It's an icon, so it counts as plus one APL for controlling objectives. It's got ruinous deterioration. Each time an attack dies would inflict damage on an enemy operative within two whites of this operative, you add one to the damage inflicted. So if it, he basically moves up to the middle of the board and if people are fighting within four inches of him, you do plus one damage. So this, And then he's got another ability. Each time an attack dice would inflict damage on a friendly unit operative within two might of this operative, you select minus one damage to a minimum of two. So this is why I said these, this guy hunkers down in the middle of the board for faction attack up two because he plonks down. If anyone comes towards you, they're doing minus one damage, including to him. He's got eight wounds. And also, if they're getting close, even if they're fighting um, any of your operatives, that you're doing plus one damage. So your Blessed Blade goes to 5-7 from 4-6. Your Torments and your Mutants will get buffed damage, even your normal Cultists. So it's really, really bad to charge these guys while the Icon is alive. But the Icon can just hide and buff the team because it doesn't even need to be visible. So that's why I was, I'm always like, faction tack up two is free because your banner walks down into the middle board, stays there, and your opponent is just like, it's not even worth trying to run interference. Um, yeah, it's, it's like, you just, you just leave the banner. Like, your goal is, if you're playing against this team, kill the banner or just leave it. Like, 
it's just so hard to deal with on most boards, but it's really good for the kill team. It's, it's literally just a buff piece, a walking buff piece. Then you got the Mind Witch, who is your weird psyker. Also has eight wounds, but only two APL. So has fists. So basically, never get into combat. So it's got three interesting psychic actions. So it's got uh, Heinous Del- Deluge. So you select an operative in your line of sight. So if someone's got a concealed order behind cover, you can't target them. And if they're obscured by a heavy cover, you can't target them. It's a shooting attack that's not a shooting attack. It, it's an ability that checks line of sight as if it was a shooting attack, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because they've started adding that to psychic abilities. But you pick someone, minus one APL, really strong. Then he's got Malefic Vortex. So this is something I always pop turning point one if you can. So he needs to be able to see a point, but you pick anyone on the battlefield or an advantage point, you place that marker down. Uh, after he's When he's places it, everyone within white of that point takes a mortal wound. And then at the end of every turning point, they will take a mortal wound. So even if you cast it and then leave it, it will it will just stick and it never goes away. It only goes when you move it. So every time you do this action, you just move it. So that's why I'm like, turning point one, you just run up and place that. It's harder on Into the Dark, but it doesn't affect your own operatives, and it's really good on someone who's activated. So you pick, like your opponent moves up someone, and then you go like, oh, if there's two people on an objective, you just go, Malefic Vortex, now I know if it's an objective I want to contest, I can just freely go there, and those two or more operatives who have already activated are now going to take two mortal wounds, which helps, because you just slowly chip away. Then he's got Infernal Gaze. So if you get too close, it's a psychic action. They're all psychic actions, but he does mm. a number of mortal wounds. If you're within red, he does a flat three mortal wounds to you. It's just free. If he's within two white of you, so four inches, he does D3 plus three mortal wounds. And if he's within white of you, he does D3 plus five. So effectively, uh, he walks around buffing, debuffing the enemy. And then turning point three, four, he just walks up and deletes stuff. Like... I can't, I can't stress how powerful doing D three plus five mortal wounds is to someone. It's a, on average you're doing seven mortal wounds. He walks up to someone and kills them. If they're a marine, he he like basically maims them. It's crazy. Like it has to be an engaged to do it. But it's like <laughs> you you send even if you send like a Necron warrior or someone with ten wounds, they just go okay. I move six inches. I'm within white of you. You take D3 plus one, so you're either taking six to eight mortal wounds. Now the rest of my team could just kill you. Crazy. Really good, but as I said, if you're playing this guy, turning point one, it's harder on Into the Dark. Turning point one, you do Malefic Vortex and just sticks there. Um, and you can even preemptively do it, but you have enough activations, so it don't matter. Um, but you do that, and then you've just got Heinous Deluge and Infernal Gaze. So, But those are actually your most important characters. Yeah. The Blessed Blade, your Caddies, but your free characters are just buff and debuff pieces. They actually don't do actual damage. The only one who does is the Mind Witch, but it's more like, ha-ha, too close. So <laughs> it's an interesting kill team because normally when you look at a lot of kill teams, you've got the leader who is, ah, oh, leader is Mr. Killy. Then you've got the Psyker who will like either do some damage or maybe buff the team a bit. And then the Banner usually does nothing. So they've really yeah. kind of doubled down on having these guys as literally just figureheads of a cult in an meaningful way. Yeah, and it's giving a different play style to a team so it's not just you look at the team and go, I know how they're going to play immediately, which is nice. Yeah, because you've actually got a lot of flexibility. And what I really like is all these leaders are 2 APL. So if they were 3 APL, they'd be dumb. But because they're only 2 APL, 
you actually have to think what you do with them. So it's pretty nice. Then you've got so, your chaos devotee. Oh, go on. You're going to say something. I was just going to say, so overall, because you said earlier that there's 14 members 15. of the kill team. 15. Yeah. Do you think having the less APL is to help balance that? Yes. But also, if you had free APL, your leaders would be broken because you would yeah. you could move and due to your actions. outnumber people as well. So the, the two things combined to me just feels like something they've probably tried to avoid. Yeah, it's like a really good like they've actually tried to rein it in, which is really good. Like it's it's just nice game design, something I like to see. Um, but now we we go into the last free operatives you can have, and it's the devotees first. So it's a guardsman who has a pistol, so hitting on fours, four attacks, two free. But then also a melee weapon. So four attacks hitting on four is two free. But yeah. the key thing is they're four attacks. So you have 10 guys, all with seven wounds. But the way I do them is, yeah. So you charge, because remember, a devotee just has to inflict damage and survive. So you charge with the devotee, charge with another devotee onto someone who's activated. You've got four attacks now hitting on freeze. If you've played your strats, you've got one auto-retain hit. Your opponent is minus one to hit. And then if you've also played the um, like aura, so you count as minus one APL, you can charge into a marine, hit him once, parry out, instantly change into a mutant, and now you've swung an objective from a marine because you will have four APL on the point. I mean, you have four APL anyway, but that marine goes down to uh, three, two APL. Or if it's a normal guy, they go down to one APL. So then they need to send two, obje- two operatives to swing that point back. Um and generally, remember, your devotee just has to survive combat and do damage. So it makes a lot of sense just to charge and pass, then charge and fight. Because suddenly, when you've got four attacks in on freeze, and all you need to do is just hit and survive, it's crazy. Like, uh, even against guardsmen, you are actually usually killing guardsmen on the charge. So you can just, like, charge two different guardsmen and swing away. So, kind of crazy. I think... The only feels bad is like you knock them down to one wound, they survive combat and then change into a seven wound demon effectively. And you just go, oh, that, that sucks. But it's a really fast way to mutate. And interesting, I've seen a lot of people go like, oh, it's easy. Um, if they kill me in combat, they will turn into a demon and then I can shoot them. But what you want to do, especially if it's turning point two, even one, you charge, you hit, you get to the point because in the FAQ, you can parry out even if you would do excess damage. So let's say my opponent rolls no hits and I roll four hits. Normally you would go, oh, I would do um, eight damage to kill you, but you can go, I'll hit you down to one wound or whatever and then parry away my last hit because I'm allowed to parry even if it would do nothing. So you do it on someone who's activated. It's just advanced charge blocking. So instead Mm. of just going, oh, I'm going to mutate and lose a guy, you can go, I'm going to mutate next turning point. He's got a one wound guy. What can he do? Fall back for two action points or fight me and die? Like, there's, it, it's just that kind of thing you would do with this kill team. But it, it, devotees are really good. Maybe they shouldn't be four attacks, but either way, they are really good. Uh, then you've got your mutants. So they're not demons, but they are basically possessed. So yeah. they're seven wounds with a five up save. They have a five up DPR, which I hate. Um, it, it's, it's probably going to change to a 6-up DPR, but at the moment it's a 5-up DPR, and they get plus 1 to do mission actions or pick up. So it's actually harder for them to open doors and stuff. <clears throat> but they have 4 attacks, hitting on 4s, 3-4, relentless and rending. So, But these guys, if they survive combat, they don't mutate, so you actually kind of want to be careful when you attack with these guys. 
But as I said, the main thing is you just charge someone with a devotee, win, like just survive doing damage, and then you get a full mutant. Because ideally, <laughs> your weakness is mutants, so like losing your mutants early. So what I like to do is, as make as many mutants as I can turning point two. So going into turning point three, if I, I like send my torments on suicide runs because then I can just go like, oh, you've killed those torments, great. So those three mutants who are tied up in combat, they've all just turned uh, turning point three. They've all just turned into torments, and your opponent just goes, oh. um, yeah. So you run your chaos mutants as interference effectively, but you have to be careful with your mutants because your mutants are reliable ways to get torments. So they're like the middle evolution, yeah. They're, yeah. they're not the best, but they're not the worst, but they're actually kind of crucial to your kill team. And remember, you can only have five mutants, but if you ever have a mutant, just charge and like, as I said, you charge and fight. Don't kill unless you're charging two guys, but you charge and parry out to damage someone so then you can mutate. And then you've got your Torment. So your Torment has 13 wounds with a five-up save. Has hideous mutations. So five attacks hitting on fours, four, five with Relentless and Rending, of course. So it can't do mission actions or pick up actions, and you have to drop anything it's carrying the moment it mutates. And then light terrain and operatives with a wounds characters of 11 or less do not provide cover. So it's like a plague hulk. So basically, mm. it's too big to claim cover. And then it's got a natural regeneration as well, so there's a 5-up DPR. Um, but once again, you have to remember, your Chaos Torments will have two mutations. So generally, they've got flying and plus one move or flying and horned. They actually prefer charging into supported combats because they hit on fours. So if you're charging into someone who's supported, you hit on freeze. Maybe if you're against guardsmen and stuff, you don't care about hitting on fours. But what I like to do, if you've got like mutants or devotees in combat, you send the Chaos Torment in. But even then, because you got Relentless, it's, it's so dumb. I understand. These guys were probably hitting on freeze with Relentless before. But I feel like Relentless was probably too much. I think maybe Ceaseless on both of these guys. But... As I said, um, turning point one, you make two mutants. So turning point two, you get two torments. And you kind of don't care what happens to your torments unless you're running faction tack up one. Because remember, you can only at one time have three torments and five mutants. But what you want to do as the Chaos Cult player is just suicide the torments, right? You're like 13 wounds, 13 whatever. All they, all they exist to do is charge... You're spending the CP, for, so they do two fight actions. Um, and if they're close to your leader, they can do three. But you literally don't care. You just throw them in, because if they die, you will have, as I said, um, if you lose your two torments, turning point two, turning point three, you go, okay, now I have three torments who are on full wounds. And you get more value from making new torments over healing old torments, because you can only heal D3 plus one wounds. So you want your torments to die. The worst thing you can have is at the end of a turning point, you have a you have a torment on one wound. That is like the worst thing as a Chaos Cult player because you're like, I can do nothing with that torment. Um, so if you can throw them away, do it. Like just do it because your opponent will go, I have to kill the torment. And then you go, oh, my mutants are alive. Because once again, even if you're against deletes, your torments are going to be doing, uh, they either have fleet or flying and horned. So you'll charge cool. into a marine, do... Two mortal wounds. So if they're in intercession, they'll go down to 12 wounds. Then you're auto-retaining a hit. And then you're either getting two hits or like three hits. And you should get a crit. So you've got two crits. And then if you're fighting twice, a torment fighting twice should kill a marine in combat. So, and if you 
like, yeah, sure, you lose a torment in return, maybe. But a one for one is great for you when you've got 15 operatives and there's only six marines. So this is, as I say, your torments do all the work. Your devotees accidentally kill stuff or turn into mutants and your mutants just run around going, you're minus one APL, like stuff like that. And that's all the operatives. That's that's it for the the operatives, which is really nice when you're doing like a summary. Uh, and then you've got equipment, which is not the best. It's weird. So you've got frag and crack grenades. You've got trophy weapons, which you never take. And you've got chaos sigils, which give you a five up invon. But the what I like to do is do frag and crack, because that's five. And then you've got covert disguise. So it's two equipment points, can only given to devotees. After the scouting step, you can do a free dash action. So you can't fly, but it's, it's free mobility. And then you've got Vile Blessings. So I used to put this on my leader, but the cool thing is you can put on a Torment. So you can have a Torment. Uh, so you put it on a normal um, devotee. So your devotee, turning point one, you turn into a mutant. Okay, Because that mutant will have that Vile Blessing, so they can ignore one hit. Turning point two, they turn into a Torment. And now when you do a suicide run with that Torment, it, especially if it gets elites and stuff, you can have it like kill two marines. Dude, like it can do so much damage because if your opponent's trying to focus fire it, they're gonna have to do more damage. But I also like putting it on the icon or my psyker because once again, if I know like the board's a little bit open or there's ways for my opponent to get to the middle, I'll put the vile blessing on my icon. So it's like, cool. If you can somehow get to my icon. I'm going to ignore one of your hits. So it has to be before you roll damage negation. But let's say someone goes, oh, I'm going to hit you with your melt with my plasma overcharge. I roll like a crit and a hit. It's like, oh, I've rolled one save. Uh, I'm just going to block the crit so I actually take no damage. It, or even if you're charged and fought. So that's really good. But generally, I, I usually take a frag or a crack. And then I take vile blessings and covert guys. Because I think on Into the Dark, you may actually just want to go mass covert guys just to get lots of free dashes, because you can go, oh, I actually wanted to do the recon dash, but I'll just use the devotee to do that, and I can do like change order extra barricade. So they're actually really powerful with their equipment as well. So it's like not brain dead, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, what, what, what do you think about their equipment? So that equipment to give yourself the extra movement, if yes. you've got that on one of the beasties that can get the improvement as well. Yes, yeah. It's so a you, really fast thing if you're using that in Into the Dark. Oh, yeah, because what you can do is you can dash someone forward and then mutate them into a mutant. So then they can get into a far position for turning point two where you can do a turn turning point two torment charge. So really powerful. I, I think like the ideal... I used to go like frag and crack all the time. I think you only do that versus guardsmen, like against like guard equivalent kill teams. So if yeah, they've got lots a lot of seven cheap board. small bodies, right? Yeah, yeah, because you do the you do the vet guard one two combo. You go frag and crack, and then you take one covert guys and a vile blessing. But against marines, I'd probably do vile blessings and your crack grenade, which is six points, and yeah. then you take two covert geysers. You can funnily, if you really want to keep your torment alive, you can give your torment a five up invon, like a guy who will turn into a torment. But as I said. It, you kind of want your torments to die. So it, it's like the only time I'd probably go vile blessings is maybe against Marines, but maybe against a torment I can get into a gun line, like into a guardsman blob, just go, I'm going to charge everyone and just go like, you have to fall back because I'll do two fight actions. 
I'm ignoring your hits. So your only option is to over-focus firepower on me or run away. So that yeah. leaves me alive for another turning point. But that's all the equipment. So now we can talk about the kill team in general. So before I get into like the full guide, um, like combos and stuff, what do you think of the kill team, John? I think it's quite an interesting one. So, so far, we've had kill teams that have been completely unique to um, kill team itself. They've been made for it. Or we've had units where they've gone, right, here's an older kit. We'll give you an upgrade sprue. This is three boxes worth of models to play one kill team, which if it said to me, I'd have gone, that's that's not going to work. People aren't going to buy that. No, yeah, totally. Because when I was hashing this out in my head, I was like, I, I originally thought they would do the five devotees and then the chaos guys. Like you yeah. just have the, the, you just have the demons already. Cause I was like, you get 10, um, uh, cultists and there's too many. Yeah. yeah. So I really like the way they've done it. I think maybe they might transform too quickly, but yeah. from a thematic, like I feel, I feel they've nailed a lot of teams this season. Just thematically. It feels alone. like how they should work. And what I find interesting is these are also kits that, I think are underappreciated in 40k. Like, oh yeah, hundred percent. In the competitive scene, you don't see them. I've seen people try doing the accursed cultists at one of my events because it was a thematic event, and it was the whole point was they were playing as part of the chaos greater faction. But outside of that, I've never seen them because they just don't get the love. Which means, if anything, as a positive, although this box has done really well and sold out because it's the cost of this kill team, in theory, you should be able to at least get the bits of it you're missing or yes. for the cultists they're they're not any specific weapons on them other than a pistol and a melee weapon so any cultist figures or necromunda models will work for it so you've got this r- nice flavor that you can actually use models that will be clearly the actual kill team without feeling like you're having to fudge it which i think is quite nice as a change because a lot of the time you have to have something that's very clear otherwise it's going to completely confuse people but for this it just works yeah, because I think the other problem you had on the tabletop is they're all unique models. You can't really, con- you can't give them different poses and stuff. So if you're trying to build an army, you, you only take one dark commune, but then you look at the mutants and uh, cultists and you're like, well, I want to run like 60 cultists, but I'm building the same 10 guys six times. So you yeah. kind of get away with it in Kill Team because you just use everything once. Yeah, you can always put in the the uh, Blackstone Fortress cultists. I know you can't use the Flamer dude, but... If you want oh, to yeah. mix up some of the models, you've got them. Because these are, um, I think it's 10 models, but you get five where they've got each, they've got two options. Kind of, yeah, some of them do. The, the annoying thing, if you bought Ashes of Faith, it te- it doesn't tell you how to build one of them as a sergeant because you can't do that in the kill team. Um, yeah. But you do get some options. But even then, you can kind of convert this, kit bash this team. Like, even if you have like a ton of like Forge World models, you can... The Dark Communes you can just convert from Chaos Warriors. The Psyker you can just use a Rogue Psyker. The Icon you can just build a giant Chaos Icon because the Chaos Icon's big. And then yeah, your Cult Demagogue you can kind of just kit bash as well. And then Mutants are like Chaos. And then the, you can just go ham with the Mutants and um, Terrors. The Terrors are actually on 40 mil bases. So you can kind of get away with using Spawns. Yeah. Chaos Spawns. Yeah. So you got a lot of freedom in that regard. But I, I agree. It's like a really thematic kill team for a melee kill team it's probably gw's best designed melee kill team i think the main problem is 
The mutant shouldn't be a six up deep, a five up DPR. So damage prevention role for all those yeah. cool kids. Some really cool guy and played thought them up, uh, but he won't. He won't talk to me. But um, but DPR. He went, like, he went off to get a packet of cigarettes, didn't he? From the yeah, garage. never came back. Never came back. Yeah. That petrol station, man. It was only ten minutes away. Uh, but <laughs> so uh, <laughs> devotees, I can definitely see. Sw- I mean, mutants, I can see switching to a six up DPR because that's what they've done for Galapox, and they're literally both called mutants. So I think for ease, they would just go, okay, uh, because you get mutants so quickly. Mutants are probably going to go to a six-up DPR and then probably Torments because I think touching onto the play style of this team, as I said, it's kind of simple, but it's really hard because it is so deceptively simple. If you play it too straightforward, your opponent will counter. But the main way, it's like even on Into the Dark, you take Faction Tech up two, you move up your banner and Psyker to the middle of the board, you, you probably move your Psyker, your leader, sorry, within, like near the center of the board, but moving up with your kill team. And then you hunker down in like the mid board while your mutants and uh, terrors just charge in. And as I said, your main goal is to suicide your torments through enough stuff. So they're like doing one for one trades because I think where they got lost in design, they were like, ah, you can only have a max of three torments or or five and five div, uh, mutants. So you're probably going to be a bit careful with them. But I am of the mindset of, I've got enough people to change into those guys. I want mutants and I want new terrors every turning point. So as I said, you just throw your term- ter- torments in. If they just like, if they kill two people, then die or kill one Marine and then die, that's a great win for you. So don't, don't play conservatively with your torments. You want them in your opponent's face so your opponent goes, ah, I want to get to the midboard, but you've got your icon, you've got your psyker, and then you've got all this chaff around. And if I yeah. try and get to the midboard, you're minus one damage, I'm taking plus one damage, and then there's a psyker who's going to come around and do six to eight mortal wounds to me. So is it really worth it for me to go to the midboard to stop you getting your tac ops? And it's incredibly powerful on Into the Dark or boards where the center of the board is really important for controlling board space. Because this this kill team does really good at controlling board space. And then um, even though Seek and Destroy is really good, I think you always go infiltration with this kill team because you've got so many volumes of attacks. You've got Faction Tech Up 2, which is holding the line. And then you take Implant. So remember, Implant is every time, the first time you strike an opponent, you can turn a normal strike to do no damage. But... Um, you get a victory point. And then if you do that to two more different operatives, you get two more victory points. But you've got so many ways to pump out attacks, it's auto-score. So you've got that. And then if it's like... I like taking the one where you need an operative with a conceal order in your opponent's territory over two turning points. That's actually really good with this kill team because you literally just send a lone devotee or even a mutant doing that with a conceal order. Um, or you've got seize, uh, seize defenses, where which is actually really good in Into the Dark, where you will just take over someone's barricade. Because people will use barricades to block off points or sit further back. But even in general, you just have to control... Ba- uh, it can be the same barricade. You just have to control a barricade at the end of the turning point. And people are really forgetful with their barricades. Even now, people like people will put barricades in your face and you just go, oh, great, this is this is a free, t- free tag-up point for me. Um, so you can destroy is good and you can argue it's good versus guardsman units but I would just go infiltration all the time because the thing about infiltration it's basically scoring as you play 
And if your opponent wants to stop you, they either have to entirely keep away, or especially if you've got a concealed operative, they have to come to you. Because even if you've got control barricades, you can send someone down to capture a barricade. And now your opponent who is using a barricade either to keep someone safe or on a point, they now have to go, I have to come back to defend my own barricade? But it was a safe point. or mm. it, it, it causes so many mind games for your opponents, there's too much threat, if that makes sense. Yeah, so a lot of how the kill team plays does emulate how you'd want chaos kind of cultists with kind of the demonic angle to be, because it's like it's simple, but just as you think you're getting a hold on it, a, a big flipping monster appears or respawns, and that's that's the dynamic. It's like, what do you do? Do you just kill the big guys, or then do you, do you go, oh, I'm going to just kill all the little guys so they can't become big guys, but then you're then letting the, the big guys run around killing you. And it's just like, you've got so many choices as an opponent. You're just you're, If you're not careful, you're going to be paralyzed by those choices. And it's going to actually, by that point, if you do get a hold on it, they've probably scored. So, Like um, one cheeky trick I like to do. This is not very nice, right? So, Classic, John. Oh, I know, right? <sighs> Everyone likes to take photos of me until I do this trick. Um, but, so... <laughs> As you may have mentioned, uh, as, you may, as you may have remembered, when you mutate, you stay exactly where you are, but your mm. base expands. So it doesn't matter when you go from a mutant, from a devotee into a mutant, because it's 25 to 25. But when you go from 25 to 40, you can effectively teleport into combats. So if you want to be really cruel, or like, it's, it's, a, it's a, not a smart way to get into combat. If you pre-measure... So you just, mm -hmm. what you can do is you can move and dash a mutant so they're like, technically not an engagement range, but they could move and dash where they're like in between two to three models. And as long as you've pre-measured it right, at the start of the next turning point, you just go, okay, uh, this guy's going to mutate into a torment. I have a 40 mil base. I am now an engagement range of all those three operatives. And all of a sudden, you've tied down all those operatives without having to charge them all. So it... That's a sneaky trick. Mm. Is it poss is it possible to body block your own mutant? So if you were too close and the base expands, if you can't you, fit it, you what push do you, do? You, you push your base so it you oh, can okay, fit. Cool. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking there could be some real shenanigans there where you end up blocking yourself that your your mutant just basically just pops. <laughs> I'll double check, but I, I don't That'd think be quite so. Funny. I mean, it. I really hate that you can do this, even though I abuse it. It's like mm. I. It's like, I know why they did it. It's like the lesser of two evils. Um, yeah, you, you push as close as possible. So if nah. someone's in the way, you just push yeah. it back. Or putting like a barricade in a position so that if they do, like you're funneling someone in, you can't do that. That's a shame. Because that, that could be quite hilarious to kind of counter them. That you just go, aha, come into well, my you, corridor. <laughs> you can do it to stop someone getting multiple guys. But like it, it's crazy Like because people won't remember this rule. So what you can do is like move and dash, end of the turning point into a situation where you're you're not in charge range, but you're just around three to four guys, and then you just go mutate. Oh, uh, those guys who were going to run away, they're they're now in combat with the torment. So what you're going to do? Like fight me? Please do. Um, but I guess the only time you would want to is if you had like the horns. Yeah, yeah. It's like you wouldn't do it against marines, but it, it like it messes up gunners. Like especially if people are on a vantage point and you can get you can't charge the vantage point, but you can move and dash up there. Really, really good. Because remember, so the sneaky thing is, if you've moved and dashed, so when you climb a vantage point, um, if it's got a rampart, so a bit of terrain, that counts as part of the climb. So, it, it, I mean, you don't count the distance. It's included in your climb. 
So you, you, you flip over to the other side. So if you can just fit onto there, when you expand your base, your base will push, because it can't push off the rampart because of the wall. You will push yourself forward and then you can push yourself into engagement range. Because um, if, if there was no rampart, you would overhang. But because there's a physical place you can't phase through, it kind of like pushes you in the other forward. Way. To, yeah. yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. So you, you can really abuse this with terrain to get into crazy combat situations, which it's like, I think they were in, in the, like um, a rock and a hard place. You either do it so like they can't mutate, but then you're like, you're kind of, it's unfortunate that they can't them down. That, that could cause some real, I, I could see that being situationally where you're then finding that the kill team just doesn't, it, like it doesn't perpetuate. And yes. then you're paying, you've basically got this kill team that doesn't do its thing. And that's, that's frustrating. And I don't think that's what they probably were wanting. So, um, but th that's basically it. And the thing you want to watch out for for weaknesses is stun. Stun is a huge thing for this kill team, which is really nice. You know, it's really nice when GW design a melee team that actually has weaknesses. But um, stun and blast weapons, and are definitely like... Um, so there are a lot of boards that will... How do I describe it? Um, we, we call it unsafe drop zones. So <laughs> there are... <laughs> there are tournaments out there that will design boards where you can't keep your kill team safe from the drop zones. So you have to watch out for that. Uh, I don't agree with that theory. Um, like it's It creates too many field bads because in certain matchups you then just, if they're oh, going yeah, first, intercession you, just you're done. You. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do. And that's not anything to do with player skill. That's just the right matchup. And that's yeah, no, it, it's no, like, no interest in that. Uh, a side tangent. Some people will go like, "Oh, it's player skill to like nuke someone from their drop zone." Like, of course, yes, that's, that's very much player skill. Very, <laughs> very good. But um, that's what you need to watch out for. But for also stun. Stun is a big thing. But as I said, you actually don't care too much if your torments get stunned because you can spend a CP for them to fight anyway. But at the end of the day, if you can just get into combat, as long as you can stick in combat, it's fine. The other big weakness for this kill team is. You have to be careful when you mutate. You don't want to mutate everyone into a mutant. So what I mean by that is you've still got a finite pool, but yeah. you need guys alive to do mission actions because you've got your blessed blades, but you still want like two to three cultists to pop points, open doors. Yeah. You don't want to suddenly start losing them because yeah. what your opponent is going to do, they're going to start gunning for your cultists. Obviously, if you can kill cultists early, that's great. But you need to keep your mutants alive as well. But you don't want to go crazy and mutating as many as you can, especially like let's say you you know you're going to mutate in the strategy phase next turn. You can just kind of hold back a bit, but always keep some alive because the key thing, the activation order for this kill team is really weird. So you start with 10 activations because you have five unique activations and then 10 guys with GA2. And then when you mutate someone in the strategy phase, you mutate in a GA2. So you go to 11 activations because you have four GA2 activations a G one GA2 activation and then one normal activation. So there you go up plus one. And as the game goes on, either via you losing cultists or making more mutant slash torments, your activation count slowly goes up, if that makes sense, assuming you, mm. you lose no one. So you can actually get a crazy number of activations. You have to be careful with that because they're like, especially with the Blessed Blades, you don't always want to group activate them, but against Marines, you want to, to cut down your group activations. 
But you have to be careful. As I said, you can't just go, oh, I'm going to mute everyone. And then you're in this weird situation in loop, like turning point three on loop, where you've only got like muties, mutants and devotee, uh, mutants and torments. So you basically can't loop points. So you, you have to be careful, right? Like it's, mm. it's general management. And the other thing is you have no way to boost your APL. You have no comms. You have no, the, the tech, the only thing is like, you just make people minus one APL and you can, you can affect other APL, but not yours. So you have to be smart. You just can't go like, um, that's why stun is really a bad thing for this kill team because it can pin you down. But I don't, is there anything that mm. catches yourself out for this kill team in terms of things you think is probably good for them? Not really. So to me, like, I just feel like the first couple of times I'd play against them, I'm going to just pick the wrong targets, I think will be the thing. Yeah. But I think after you've played them a few times, knowing the right target priority, like I suppose with any kill team you have that really, that's the, that's what I'm getting from this is like, I'll probably leave the cultists too long the first game or I'll overcommit onto the big boys when in reality, you probably just want to hit everyone a little bit if you yeah. can't kill them off one by one. So it just, to me, it's just like, it'll be one of those weird ones that especially if, if I don't see them that often because either people haven't been able to get the box or they don't already own the models because at the end of the day, unless you're going to buy three boxes worth of stuff, you're not necessarily going to rush to get these guys, are you? So, No, I, I think like um, that's pretty much summed up for me. It's like you want to overwhelm your opponent so they go for the torments when that's a trap because remember you can only yeah. have three torments. Uh, a smart opponent will, if they can, kill as many um, devotees as they can turning point one. Then turning point two, they're going to kill as many mutants as they can because they want yeah. you to stop making more torments. Like if, if they can hit your mutants and and uh, devotees, that actually cripples the team. But you have so many operatives, it's it's really hard to do unless there's an open board, right? Yeah. Um, but I think at playing as this team, you also have to be willing that you're going to have to sacrifice some operatives to get points, but doing so gives you board space. So yeah. like if you move up and loot someone's objective or steal it, that's fine because if they kill that guardsman or like normal guy and you go, that's someone they're not else shooting at. So you can really mess things up. Yeah. And obviously they're just dumb on Into the Dark because Into the Dark is very balanced. So of, of course they'll be great there. Um, I think for bad matchups, let's. Um, I don't think there's many. So I think bad matchups in general would be this is for like open, right? Would be Hand of the Archon. And yep. Corsairs, they are very good at alpha striking and like they've got a good mix of combat and melee so they can really focus fire down. And then I think Beastmen in general are bad matchups. <laughs> like ignoring like the, um, the, the, what do you call it? The frenzy stuff. The reason um, goats are bad is because they have two opportunities who can double fight. They have their pox bomb, which swings the entire game for you because they can keep pumping guys. It's a stun grenade that works in a free up. And if they roll a five yeah. up, they do three more wins. So they can just throw, like churn through you and they can double fight and then they're frenzy so they can fight again. So they can feasibly, especially with their four or five damage, just cut through all your guys. So you, you need to watch out for them. Galapox isn't a problem, in my opinion, because remember, you pop minus one to hit, they pop minus one to hit but then you get more rerolls and retains and your torments are actually better at dealing with them. So, and especially what they can, what you can do is, um, you know, they're little bugs. They, mm. uh, they they have two wounds. So if they've bunched up a bunch of bugs together, you just go, your psycho goes, Oh, I'll pick that point. 
So they all, all take one mortal wound, and at the end of the turning point, they take two. So they will just die. So you have a lot of ways to thin them out. Elites aren't a problem. I don't. I think those are the baddest matchups. I think. Um, I think elites is pretty easy once again because you take you've got the the roaming crack grenade, which all marines terrify. Uh, like they 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 hate that. <laughs> I think yeah, the only bad matchup is basically uh, themselves. Haha, but goats in general, and then into the dark. I mean, on open, it's uh, those two teams into the dark. I don't think they have any other bad matchups because we don't have any other mel- like Galapox is probably like an even, but you have a slight edge. That those are the only matchups you need to watch out for. Like, I don't think that commandos not really because well maybe commandos. I don't they know. just might bounce. They might bounce a little bit because of the DPRs, right? Yeah. So like the problem commandos will have is it will be really annoying for them to try and get rid of um, mutants. I think. So you kind of have to watch out for that. But like the the thing is, once you get a torment going, a torment will shred commandos. Like it it's kind of cruel. But I think commandos are probably like a worthy mention you need to watch out for because they'll have um nine orcs, generally all with choppers to an extent. But then the bomb squig. Yeah, so I'd put commandos, yeah. The bomb squig, you have no way to stop the bomb squig. Um, apart from a crack grenade or your psyker. So because remember, you're you're likely going to be bunched up, so the YOLO bomb squeak is something you need to watch out for. Um, I don't. <laughs> is there any other bad matchups? Pathfinders on open would actually be quite bad, but you have the speed to get up too close, if that makes sense. Because the torment is just going to go, is waiting to charge all those pathfinders, and people don't bring pathfinders anymore. Uh, but on into the dark, your only real bad matchup is just. Um, I think. Galapox are worse to face on Into the Dark, but you have better board control, so it's still even. Uh, but it's just goats. Really, goats are just a bad matchup for this team. And it is... I keep saying it, but it's, it's mainly the stun. Oh, Exaction Squad. Exaction Squad are bad for this team as well. Early game, because they're shotguns, so what they want to do is rush forward. Because if they put their strat, um, if you're within white, uh, too white, you don't count as being in cover. So they will just move up, delete a cultist, move up, delete a cultist. And then, sure, a torment will run through them, but if if they limit you to two torments, they can actually quite quickly mess up the entire team. Um, but the good news is, no one likes running. Well, like, Action Squad aren't are just not really seen that much. I mean, they're actually getting more popular month by month. But I think that's it for pretty much bad matchups. Um, mm. So to summarize, I, I think that's pretty much it. Like, there's is there? And, and I think we've covered everything. They're a very strong team. They may get some hurt, like like just something. They may get some tweaks, but it's probably just going to be the DPR on the mutants and maybe the torments. Mm. But generally, they're a very large team. Uh, but the only thing I would say is practice in terms of time management. Even though you have quite a lot of activations, you still need to be fast. But you want to try and overwhelm your opponent and never bunch up too much. Even though you want to be in the mid, you just kind of want to have... Um, I call it the spider web tactic because I, I kind of did it first in Underworld. So what I would do is you kind of want people to charge you. So I put stuff as bait so I can yeah. go, if they shoot, that's, there's not much you can do. But if they charge, especially if it's on a point they can't see, they are either shooting and they're stuck there, like they're moving someone to shoot and clear that point, or they're charging and killing you there. And if someone charges you and have killed you, then you can just counter charge. So it's like this defensive web 
So you set up all these baits and simultaneous charges, which is why if you're playing against a good uh, Felgor player, it's really rough because they will just go, oh, cool, I'll charge you. I love being in combat. So uh, And Galapox to an extent. But I think that's pretty much it. It's like there's, It's a simple yet complex kill team. And I think the biggest problem people are going to have playing this kill team, apart from painting them, because you have 23 models to paint, it's a problem even for me, is um, I, I definitely can see people going, oh, I've mutated all of my devotees, so now I have no one to do mission actions. Or like, oh, I've kind of kept my torments alive too well when I should have been more aggressive with them. Or it's yeah. kind of like, uh, I've hunkered down too much, so I've controlled my side of the board, but my opponent's kind of pushed in and stolen enough stuff to pick, like playing too defensively. And I think those are going to be the biggest weaknesses playing this kill team, if that makes sense. Yeah, it feels like they've got a, a solid kind of, you pick them up, you can play them quite solidly, but to get the the kind of the, that kind of sweet spot out of them, you need to be playing them quite savvy. And I think that's that's interesting as a as a thing, rather than just being like, oh, I'm playing them, look at me win. It's just, there's nice that there's like, there's, there is some actual player skill required still for it. Oh yeah, like um, I would compare these to Hand of the Archon in terms of thematic power, but you still have to be smart. Obviously, you can go, up, I'm going to charge. Wee, wee. You still actually have to think. Now, even yeah, though yeah. Herpaderpa charge works a lot, you still have to think. You can't just go like, I'm just going to mindlessly charge. Like, even against the mirror, like what's going to swing it is you using like using your Torment, uh, not your Torment, your Psyker to weaken stuff with the Vortex and then give stuff minus one APL. You're, you're actually going to be doing a lot of stuff where you may want to recon dash your Psyker into position so your Psyker for the entire game can just do two Psychic actions every turning point. Those are things you have to like keep in mind. Yeah. But but then you have to keep in mind, do you want to do that constantly and then keep your Psyker effectively out of the game? Because they've really got they've got a really good, nice damaging psychic power with mortal wounds. There's a lot of counterplay. Um so I think GW have done a really good job of balancing the thematic side of the kill team as well as the overall power. But um I think that's that's pretty much it, unless you have anything else to add, Mr. Not Scribble. really. Apart from, to me, like what I think will be interesting to see is like stati- on the stats, kind of through tournament play, not only the fact that there's the slight lag of how much there is to paint of them, but also the general problem that if there isn't enough copies of the game, out, of, of Ashes of Faith out there in the wild, you just might not see the team actually in the meta, but purely for the fact that there isn't people picking them up and using them, so... Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's the um, yeah, because it's the stats by me and Horse Horse Teddy. But that's the kind of thing I said would like Felgor's Ravagers. They're a really good team, but they are really hard to get. So you're in this like weird catch twenty two of, are they actually good, or is it like the issue is the people who could get them painted in time? There's not like there's this lag, this lag yeah. in results. And so, is it people getting them are the people that are really, really fixated on the game? So are probably the ones that are going to play them to a better level, perhaps. I don't know. That that's what I always find interesting. It's like there's a smaller pool of people, but they're playing them to a better standard. So the stats end up being quite kind of reflective of that. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you're going to have someone who I don't know gets this box early, turns up to the first legal tournament they can with a fully painted kill team, and then wins with this newly painted kill team but that's a rarity and uh, it doesn't really happen that much uh no but it's like a general thing it's like the weirdest thing so um when we're talking about the stats this is going off tangent but um what what happens with the stats is people like to tell me constantly that one person can change the stats and that is kind of true to an extent 
but only people make this judgment after looking at the stats. So for yeah. example, people go, oh, if we look at the sample size, if you take out my games from the equation, then this team does either better or worse. And I'm like, mm. that's true. But the issue is, if we look at another kill team who had like um, all these tournament wins, they've actually got a really bad win rate. But then also, if you're not playing that kill team, it kind of changes the matches you played against. Um, like, for example, like there was an interesting one. If you look at the latest stats for April for Hand of the Archon, if you take out my games, their win rate goes down to like 44% or 40% overall. And then for GT Plus results, it goes down to like 37 But then the other thing is like, it's only, um, it, there's other factions where if you remove the best performing player, it does nothing to the stats. It's really yeah. weird. It like Kill Team is in this weird zone where it hasn't got enough players, but it's also got still a lot of players, but not yeah. as much as we'd want, but still enough that it's too big for one person to generally cause a difference. I think it's because there's enough Kill Teams now that you can't just flip between a few yes. to affect it all. But I think this is like, I think one thing they can, that's definitely probably going to happen is mutants going down to a six up DPR. I think that's just going to happen and probably needs to. But it's going to be interesting to see how this kill team plays out because it's it looks great on paper. And mm. uh, I think it's going to be a testament to how people play because the other thing is, if like in Spain, we they generally play with safe drop zones. The UK is a mix. I design safe drop zones because I don't think there's much skill in blowing people up in the drop zone. America keeps kind of shifting backwards and forwards. And like the London maps generally like generally actually quite unsafe for larger teams, which yeah. uh heavily favors elite teams, which is a, a problem in itself. So it it's really a lot of factors and it's it's gonna depend because especially if you play in a meta where everyone plays with unsafe drop zones, this team's gonna be horrible because you're just gonna have intercession players gonna move up, noob tube you, and you just go, Well, good game. That was really fun. So it, it's really hard. But I, I think this team has a really good matchup into most teams, but you need to still play smart, which is good. Like player skill is always still important. Yeah. Even even with Felgor's Ravages, player skill to an extent is what is important with that kill team. Because um, like a side thing, I expect Felgor's to not be super dominating at the moment. I don't know. Because like the problem is if you play them killy, right, they do well but they really excel at just abusing Frenzy to score recon and score objectives. But everyone I see has been playing them as super killy mode, which is what you're supposed to do with the kill team, but it's not the optimal way to play them and break them. So it's like how this, as you said, how will the meta evolve is something we're just going to have to wait and see. So it's probably going to take, I think two to three months is still a good lead time. For for like 40k yeah. and Sigma, you guys need like, I'd say three to six months is, is more... Like, because in three months, you can generally have someone speed an army, whereas six months, generally, everyone has that army. Whereas yeah. Kill Team, I think it's usually two to three months. So it's a shorter period, but I think yeah. it's more comparable. Yeah. But um, that's pretty much it for today. I hope you liked this uh, guide. It's a pretty impromptu, but it's, uh, it was a bit different to the last one because it's basically my review video but then I've expanded more because I played more games since my review video and did more planning and tactics. Um, so I hope you all found this useful. And, and thank you for being on Scrivo. It's, it's been a pleasure always. again. It's and always a pleasure. I know it's so much fun because after and before we talk about forbidden knowledge, the cursed knowledge, which no one is allowed to know. But 
if you want, you can find Scrivo on like Twitter, Kofi, everything. It's just Scrivo. It's, I think it's just they, they Google Scrivo, right? They'll just Scrivo Art. I think is what my Twitter and everything is from memory. But I think let me just double check. I always like because it's live. We're recording live. Oh, uh, I think I'll just Google. I mean, obviously it's biased because of my cookies. Um, Scrivo meaning Scrivo is an Italian word, first mm. person singular, indicative of scrivere. Okay, yeah, d- Google Scrivo art. <laughs> there we go, Scrivo art. Google Scrivo art. Don't go, don't Google Scrivo. Otherwise, you get. Oh, why am I getting Daily Mail? Oh, anyway, yeah. So you, you watch all of that. But, oh, I um, write for them as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's your. You pretend <laughs> to care for everyone, <laughs> then you write for the Daily Mail. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a pleasure. Until until next time, we'll be back soon with stuff. Um, and remember, no matter how chaotic it gets. You can always win as long as you can roll a crit.